0: What's up, people? Hotep Jesus. We are back. As you already know, brilliant conversations with brilliant minds and brilliant people. Big brain shit all day, every day. Maybe not every day. <laughs> but, you know, I try to bring uh, interesting conversations, things you might not hear about in everyday life. And uh, today I got a brother with me now, Bill. Me and him we've been following each other for a few years now. Um, we're both fellow marketers. So we, Study the same science. We practice the same science, the science of marketing and advertising and copywriting. Uh he uh calls himself the most expensive copywriter in Dubai, which is uh I think a brilliant title. He runs a company, uh Dropkick Copy. Uh, but without further ado, now Bill Aziz is here. Now, Bill, what's up, man? How you feeling? Hey, thank
1: you. Thank you, thank you for having me. It's my my pleasure, and I appreciate the uh the invitation, uh, yeah, you're right, man. We've been we've been following each other for a, a very long time, and I think it's because uh, w- you know when I started becoming the Alpha Muslim, I was uh, trying to shine a light because of being on Twitter. I was trying to shine a light on the the Black Lives Matter uh, issues that the Hotep community was bringing up, and you know through Uncle Hotep. I got to know like who you are and 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 Dodoobz and and sun and like the <laughs> the whole the whole crew and I, I credit myself with actually introducing the the, the like the Hotep community to like the Muslim discussion at large, especially in in America, because before that it was like like you got to be down with BLM or like you're not even Muslim.
0: Yeah. <laughs> really the Muslim yeah, fighting yeah.
1: with BLM yeah yeah it's like uh, I mean I mean, obviously there are pockets of Muslims who are like yo what is this Black Lives Matter stuff it's like anybody who's been to the website and seen their like manifesto or whatever it's like immediately obvious like yo this is we can't be like as Muslims like we can't be down with this um, however I'm sure you're aware that you know quite a few Muslims in, in the West are uh, allied with with the left in general to sort of uh hedge against the the attitude of the right towards islamic muslims
0: mm, yeah yeah it, it definitely uh you're giving me flashbacks to one yeah we were definitely uh trying to warn people about black lives matter and provide an alternative to that narrative um and yeah, I do remember. Yeah, we used to bang on them hard. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, you definitely was around. Um for people that don't know, uh what we noticed was on the website it said um mothers parents children. Uh you know, it completely didn't even want to mention men. Um and then I put a video out on YouTube that said uh, uh BLM is an LGBT agenda. Pretty much that's what it was. So, you know, when we're looking at where we are today with the whole LGBT thing uh, and how it's spreading across America, I always say you can thank Black Lives Matter for that because they uh, were monumental in, in pushing that, especially in the black community and making that a mainstream talking point. Um, especially when it was at a time when um black males were getting shot, straight black males were getting shot, and then they turned it into an LGBT thing. I'm like, I don't know how y'all did that. So it's really good rules. But speaking of LGBT, um the Muslim community, I believe, doesn't take too kindly to uh that demographic. Um, I think I wanna ask this question in two parts. Um one, can you provide some clarity on the Islamic stance towards um, the LGBT community, and then can you touch on some of the violence that they face in some of the other countries, and you know how you feel about that as well? Right. I mean, that's a that's an excellent question. So,
1: first, to clarify, Islam has no problem with identities and personalities, or how God uh, you know, created you. What Islam does have a problem with is specific actions that are either permissible or impermissible. If We take the act of sex, sex between two individuals. The only kind of sex that is permitted is between a husband and a wife, uh, cisgendered, obviously, born male and born female. Got to you know clarify for the the pronouns crowd. <laughs> so the only kind of sex that is permissible is between a husband and a wife. All other forms of sexual intercourse are impermissible. So for us, homosexual sex is no different than fornication between an, a man and a woman outside of uh, outside of outside of wedlock. Now. Uh, homosexuality or sodomy specifically is a little bit more severe uh, because if you're familiar with the Bible, it's the same story in the Quran where uh, Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed for practicing homosexuality. Um, um, and you know, the prophet, prophet Lot was sent to them to guide them away from these acts and towards uh, Islam because we believe all the prophets and messengers were Muslim. And then they refused his message and rejected it. And then God Almighty sent the angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So obviously, homosexual sex is a little bit more severe. I mean, for the most part, Islam—it's—it's it's, it's a little bit silly to identify yourself as in your like your as a being with what you do in private with another individual in your bedroom. You're so much more than your sexual appetites as a human being, as a human soul. So we Muslims, well, the understanding Muslims at least find it quite strange that the fact that you are gay or a homosexual or a lesbian is is so ingrained in your identity that we you just find it strange because we don't actually deal with people in that way. People are so much more than that. Now as far as, as far as violence goes, okay, we don't have the systems in place to actually be allowed to carry out such kind of violence. Most of that violence that happens against homosexuals is vigilante justice and vigilante justice is uh, is, is not permissible in Islam, it's, it's haram actually. Now you, you could point to the fact that Iran does something like hanging homosexuals off of cranes or something like that but iran is a little bit of a special case in the in the sense that they are shia muslims and they're like i guess a different kind of version of islam where it's almost a completely different religion
0: so all right so let's let's just segue really fast and then come back to this i don't know the difference between shia Shiaite, what, what what's the is that what it is shia and Shiite. well shia
1: is or the, sunni yeah, there's there's Sunnis, yeah. Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims. You're Sunni. Uh, I'm Sunni. And that's the majority of Muslims around the world. Shias are maybe like 15% of the Muslims around the world. Now the difference is uh is primarily theological. Uh to the outside observer, uh you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Uh for the most part, you know, the beliefs are identical except differ. In a few key issues where those key issues are you know significant enough that there is some sort of i guess political discord and 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 tension between the two communities
0: so she is predominantly which countries predominantly it's in
1: iran they 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 are in in pakistan and afghanistan as well that that whole sort of persian region that's where the majority of the Shias are. They're also in India. Uh, as far as outside of that area, the like the Eurasian kind of region, uh, they're
0: you know a tiny minority. So the Shia and the Sunni dichotomy is this uh, a thing since inception of Islam, or this split happened later? The
1: split happened not since the inception it was after the death of the prophet muhammad by about i'm not sure the exact length of time but after the third caliph of islam was uh after the progression of the third caliph of islam so the prophet muhammad peace be peace be upon him passed away he died then there was one caliph after him then the next caliph and from the third caliph is when the problems started to Happen. Uh, the split is because the Shias or the original Shias back in the day they said that a particular companion of the Prophet should be the caliph, and the rest of the community said uh, no, it should be this guy, and that's where the uh, I guess the the split happened. It's uh, you could call it political, but. Where that initial political rift started, where it ended up, is a much more different place. Uh, so, when it began, it was something that was purely political in the sense that, okay, we want our guy and you guys want your guy. But now the split is so much that we have almost completely different theologies in the sense that, you know, if you dig into the theological beliefs of Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims, You'll find almost nothing in common. It it could be almost two different religions in the way that uh, they practice their religion.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay, so I just want to touch back on something you said earlier. You said that uh, it's kind of odd that people identify themselves based upon their sexual activity, and I agree. You know, I, I, that was my thing. I'm like, like, I, there's no special place for guys who like fat asses. Or big titties, right? <laughs> like, like, and like, do I get special treatment? Do I get my own bathroom because I like big titties? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, the so, titty pride, titty pride parades. Yeah. So, do you think is there <laughs> some sort of agenda to like degrade society or to bring people, I guess, to their lower selves, their lower nature?
1: I think that's a, that's an excellent point in the sense that once you degrade people to the point that their only concerns in life are fulfilling their carnal desires and that's not just sex that's your appetites you know in the broad plural sense of the word i think they become easier to control so you you flood them with unlimited entertainment unlimited food uh unlimited food in the sense that the kind of food that we have not just not just unlimited broccoli, you know, it's like unlimited, uh, highly processed, satiating food. And you fl- flood them with uh, unlimited sex in, in the sense of sexual imagery and access to pornography. And the media is talking about, you know, sexuality and sex in the music, it's in the TV, it's in the cinema. You flood them to the point where the only concerns on their mind are these base desires. And I think they're easier to control. What do you think about that?
0: Uh, I think you you hit on all points on that. You know, Um, I'm a spiritual person. So I always look at everybody on Earth is a soul before the physical body. So if you don't look at yourself as that first, I think you'll be led astray um, in this life existence. And uh, I think that the human species has done so much. Uh, As far as uh, technology is concerned, as far as knowledge and spreading knowledge is concerned, uh, building, you know, we have so many capabilities and it's like we're stuck on sex. Right. And it's just like sex is just something that we do to make sure that uh, the species lives on. Right. And outside of that, it just becomes uh, something for pleasure. So, you know, when we're dealing with pleasure, if you do it in an unsacred manner, it's no different than doing drugs. Right. Because people start getting addicted. So I think that's when uh, you start having a degradation of society when everybody's worried about sex. For example, you know, how do you feel about the porn conversation right now that Andrew Tober and Gab brought to the forefront of the national conversation where um you know, people are talking about uh porn on uh social media being free. Um, meanwhile, like if I misgender somebody that can get me banned from the platform, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, how do you yeah. feel about and,
0: that porn conversation? Because personally yesterday I said yo, ban porn, right? And um I'm gonna discuss what I mean by that probably in a lengthy blog post after this, but how do you feel about that conversation?
1: Yeah, it's funny, right? So if if I uh tweet at uh you know that that trans activist from Canada and I start calling her by her her male born name, yeah, I'm gonna get suspended or banned from Twitter. Meanwhile, there's if you wanna find porn on Twitter, it's freely available. You know, and sometimes it'll it'll come across your TL. Some it's usually for for, for for some reason it's usually black Twitter that's re- 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 retweeting porn. <laughs> on <laughs> the yeah i had to i had to unfollow some people it's like yo guys bro what um so yeah so it's freely available on twitter now okay as far as the point debate goes um you know in islam we have an idea of individual rights and we also have something called the common wheel so the rights of society if uh and in general the two are meant to exist have some sort of coexistence with each other where one doesn't infringe too much on the other in situations where the common wheel is is threatened to a great extent then the state is required to intervene because what's required is the preservation of society as a whole i think it's the great lie of the occident of the west that the individual is the the fundamental unit of society. The fundamental of un- unit of society is the family, and the preservation of the family is is one of the core objectives of you know, of Islamic law of the Sharia. So, when we're talking about porn, um, it's first of all, it's 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 not permissible. It's haram unequivocally. Uh, you know, creating it is worse than watching it. Obviously, because cre- in creating it, you're doing actual fornication and adultery, whereas in watching it, you're committing a lesser form of of adultery. So it's un- unequivocally haram. It's not permissible. And in, in most cases, uh, if you go to any Muslim country, uh, pornographic websites are blocked. Yeah, There's ways around it, okay? Obviously there's ways around it. People can find ways. Like if, pe- if somebody wants to watch porn, they're gonna watch porn, yeah? However, it's not about the fact that people can do it, it's about limiting the access as much as possible where it's where it's possible. It's like it's like drunk driving is, is illegal, right? But people still drive drunk and, you know, uh, get arrested for driving drunk or whatever, whatever. You're trying to protect society as much as possible. And, and wherever possible, sin shouldn't be out in the open. Sin is something that as much as possible, you know, we're humans, we're weak, we're going to sin. We should try to keep that in private so that, um, so that God Almighty can conceal those sins for us. Uh, it's actually a mercy from God that he conceals your sins from the public. And in fact, open public sinfulness is one of the, one of the causes of, of God's wrath.
0: My bad. I'm just trying to do some promo here. So if I waved a magic wand and I say, yo, now, Bill, I'm God. I said, now, Bill, you are a dictator of said state. Let's say the United States. How do you propose you would deal with uh, the distribution or the uh, violation of a law or. I guess maybe it's a law. Do you Would you say you would use the state to limit? the pornography how, what's the penalty how do you how would you tackle this thing what's the is it a secular state or a sharia state um let's do both right cuz when you say sharia i don't know what that means right um yeah. let's say it's secular let's go secular first and then we'll go sharia
1: um yeah i mean obviously there's is i can sort of see it from different angles because I don't want the government getting involved in what uh, people do in their own private homes or in their own privacy, right? However, a problem could get so bad in society that a government has to step in, right? I mean, uh, if you look at just American society in general, uh, there are laws against selling tobacco to minors. There are laws against uh, selling alcohol to minors. There are all these laws designed that infringe on people's individual liberties to pre- protect the good of the society. So I don't see why porn couldn't fit in that, in that framework. On the other side, I remember on Twitter, uh, I think it was Stephanie Hazen that asked, you know, what are the negatives of banning porn? And I was thinking like, okay, if they did ban porn successfully and there was like zero porn happening, these hoes would have to go get a job and that's going to drive wages down. Yeah? Uh, And, okay, now there's going to be fewer jobs and people making less money. So ultimately, it's the corporations that win, okay? And on top of that, these hoes that act in pornographic films, they would start whoring for real, okay? And that could lead to uh, uh uh human trafficking that could lead to more violence against women that could lead to uh you know more uh drugs crime criminality so there's a, a number of you know different effects and i remember also seeing on twitter somebody said that you know porn it keeps the incels pacified so there's going to be like if there was zero porn there might be more mass shootings so i mean it is <laughs> there's a lot of considerations to be had but in general I think porn is a societal evil uh, that has been pushed by certain individuals I mean not individuals, a certain group of people which I don't think it's permissible to mention, it's haram to mention on YouTube or your channel will get banned Uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah, so we can't mention those people Uh, but in general it's a societal evil that society would be better off if it didn't exist. On a Sharia state, in fact, I mean it's even more complicated in a Sharia state.
0: Why well, because, let's before we do that, tell yeah, me what ahead, Sharia man. means. Okay, what is Sharia?
1: Sharia etymologically means a path to water where you lead your animals to drink. Okay. And in the religious sense, it's the path that god has laid out for his creation to paradise and it's it is a it's legal consideration it's it's law it's spirituality it's uh, it's creed it's all of those things and when people say sharia in common parlance what they're just what they're referring to is is the law okay and It's the legal system by which an Islamic state will will operate. So if we were in an Islamic state where Sharia was the law of the land, as opposed to the Constitution of the United States, I think it would be even more complicated. One, because at its heart, Sharia requires the consent of the governed. It's almost impossible. To enforce the laws of the Sharia, unless people are actually willing to go by its precepts. If you look at the history of of the Muslims, the early Muslims, when you know, when Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was sent with the message, the first maybe 10 to 13 years of his prophethood was fully spent purifying the hearts of the people and teaching them their religious spirituality and their creed only after which did these legalistic rulings come down the banning of alcohol had god almighty banned alcohol from day one the people wouldn't have stopped drinking alcohol however because they took the time to purify their hearts and get closer to god when the ruling came down to stop drinking alcohol they did it willingly there was no enforcement required so in a sharia state and let's say it was a it was like you wave the magic wand and and overnight like nebraska became a sharia state yeah these people have no concept of 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 Islam, of submission to their creator, of following the rulings of Islam, of, of of these acts of worship. Now if I were to impose the rulings of the Sharia, they, naturally the people are going to reject it. Yeah? So that's what I say. That's why I say it's a little bit more complicated in the Sharia state. I can't just show up and one day ban pornography. What you would have to do is do something more grassroots, where the preachers would go out and the scholars would go out and the Imams would go out. And bring the people closer to God mercifully until they reach the point where their hearts are free of the vice of pornography, as opposed to legalistically trying to tear them away from
0: something that's addicting them. I love that answer because that's exactly what I meant when I said ban porn, you know, and so many people with their small brains immediately ran to the ideology of uh government and said oh you know when you when they, when they see two words ban porn they immediately think i mean legislation it's not what i mean at all um there's several ways to carry about change in the world one of them is by force and other ones by coercion and what i believe is the proper way to ban porn is through coercion you first ban it in your in yourself then you ban yeah. it in your household then you ban it from your friends in your network And you make it a cultural thing to where when somebody shares porn is looked down upon. So it's banned socially. And that's what I mean when I say ban porn, ban it socially. And then, like you said, have your scholars and your religious people go out and relieve people of this. sin, And then you can make it law right? Like, here's what we believe, right? Here's what we believe is the right and wrong thing to do. So I'm glad you said that because it makes so much sense. A lot of people think when they say sh- uh, Sharia law, uh, you know, like Ilhan Omar, they believe that people like Ilhan Omar is going to come to their state and install Sharia law or in their city install Sharia law. Things are going to change overnight. Is that true? Is Can that happen? I mean, it, it just practically, it's impossible. Um,
1: like I mentioned earlier, to have Sharia law requires the consent of the governed. Okay. And to administer Sharia law, you need a single ruler. That ruler also has to have the consent of the governed. Okay. So practically speaking, the way America is and your your legal system, your checks and balances, your forms of government, it's impossible for it to happen. What could happen is Muslim communities in the U.S. become, uh, well, they might take over an area and they choose internally as a community that this is how we're going to operate ourselves. And I think the Orthodox Jewish people do that in America. Is that, isn't that correct?
0: Oh, yeah, that's correct.
1: They, yeah, they govern themselves. And in, in England, the Orthodox Jews have their own separate court system, like a Sharia legal system.
0: They have it like True. that in Brooklyn, New York, too.
1: Exactly. They have their own legal system. They're, they have Sharia courts,
0: Jewish Sharia courts. So they got their own police, they have their own courts, they have their own schools, they got their own buses, their own ambulances. Yeah. Self-government. Yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, I don't think you're allowed to uh step to them that way, right? Where you like, yo, you guys can't. This is America, Jews. You can't do that over here. Yeah, I don't think you're allowed to do that, right?
0: Oh no, oh, you don't no, want do to <laughs> do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you don't <laughs> want to do that. That's yeah. a bad move. Yeah.
1: So, okay, so. So, so practically speaking, like if the Jews can have it, and you're okay with the Jews having it, like what's the difference with the Muslims having it? In fact, there are already places in America right now that are majority Muslim, and you can't tell the difference between uh, Palestine. Like, there's a place in New Jersey called Little Palestine. You're you're from New Jersey, right? Yep. Yeah, Little Palestine in New Jersey, Dearborn, Michigan, Philadelphia, Germantown. Okay. Like that beard that Black dot r- walks around with—that's called the Sunnah beard. What is Sunnah? Sunnah means the tradition of Islam. Okay, and you have non-Muslim African Americans be walking around with the uh, the, jalabiya, the 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 white the robes, yeah. So there are places in America already where the community self-governs and acts in a certain way. It's not—it's not law. It's not written into law, but there is a um, a. I guess you could call them the the social norms are very, very Muslim, and people conduct themselves in that way, in the sense that, let's say you and I have some sort of uh, business dispute, right? Instead of going to the uh, court, we might decide, let's go take it to the imam, and the imam might, you know, uh, squash the beef between us, you know? And that's us consensually between us mutual consent we agree that we're going to go and uh stick to god's law instead of the law of the the non-muslim
0: oh yeah uh sabah what's up with the beard what's the significance behind the beard the prophet muhammad said grow your beards
1: and trim your mustaches so muslim men do it because the prophet muhammad said
0: so okay got you it just happened to be in the book cool So let's get back to it a little bit. Uh, I think the problem is uh, there's some subconscious racism from whites and Europeans, right? Um, And then there's also uh, when we're talking about why the Orthodox Jews can get away with it, but the Muslims can't, right? So I think it's twofold. I think it's the power of the Israeli state. And then I also think it's the fact that the Jewish people look white, right? They look like white people. So they look at them as if, you know, they're that's their cousin. But the Islam community is coming over with brown skin, right? So I think there's some some racism, some subconscious racism or conscious racism at play here, which is why it's okay for one group to do it, but not another, right? Um, and then we can Add in all the other media effects to the psyche of the American and what they believe about Islam, so on and so forth. But there is a very real threat to Europe with uh, immigration. In America, we're dealing with immigration from several different countries, including Mexico, and it's degrading our society. And the Europeans feel as though the uh, Islamic community uh, refugees are coming into Europe and displacing them, replacing them. What are your thoughts on that topic? Well, I
1: mean, I agree with the European. <laughs> 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 um, there was this, uh, there was this uh, YouTube video. It was a presentation by this college kid named uh, Jason something or other, where he gave a presentation for his like college class that went sort of viral. I don't know if you saw it, where he was talking about replacement migration, yeah, as a UN policy to combat declining birth rates in the West, yeah. So they're bringing in all of these migrants to fill the worker roles that are going to be freed up because a generation, two generations down the line, the white folks aren't having enough kids. Um, I I don't like this, actually. And I sort of lost my train of thought. But what I wanted to say was... Well, you started off saying that you you agree. Yeah, yeah, I do. I I do agree with uh, the, the Europeans in the sense that one... Just speaking from an Islamic perspective, okay, moving a Muslim, moving from a Muslim land to a non-Muslim land, is something that is is disliked in the religion, if not, uh, not permissible. The only reason why a Muslim is allowed to live in a non-Muslim land is if he has some some business there, or if he's there to uh, call people to Islam. Okay, so that's one thing. Second thing is all of these. Uh, Able bodied men, or whoever it is, these migrants, these uh, economic migrants, I do believe they call them, are leaving the Muslim countries and there's a brain drain happening. So, who's going to take care of the Muslim countries? Okay. The third point is there is, a, is always an equilibrium that exists between a low birth rate and a high birth rate. Okay. And instead of thinking lo- short term like okay what's gonna happen a generation from, t- from now when all of these uh, you know these, these the our, our white people are not having enough kids and we don't have enough people to fill the jobs they ought to be thinking 200 300 500 years from now where it's all gonna balance out yeah so I really don't see the the positive benefit of bringing all these migrants when, what happens is mostly it's leading to civil strife and you can see the difference between countries like sweden and countries like poland and hungary like it's just blatantly obvious like you, you don't need to be like a genius to, you know to figure that out mm-hmm. so i sympathize i sympathize with the uh, i guess the right wing if you would call it uh in in terms of their uh, demographic displacement. However, saying having said that, most of these people are just LARPing on online on Twitter and YouTube. Like they should be getting married and having kids. It's not our fault that you're
0: not getting married and having kids. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's safe to say that the white man's religion has failed them. Because yes. if the white man had followed their religion as the Muslims do, they might not be dealing with some of these issues. Am I correct in thinking that? This is absolutely correct. And the failure of these Western
1: revivalist movements, which most of the right-wing groups are, um, whether they're interested in bringing back uh, classical liberalism, or if they're interested in bringing back Christianity, I don't know if you've uh, read the book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. It's a business book, but it applies to an intellectual and cultural tradition as well. Your cultural tradition of individualism, of secularism, is what got you here. Secularism is not going to solve the problems that it created. You have to find a different way of thinking. Which, if they all become Muslim, all the problems would go away.
0: (laughs) They're not gonna want to hear that, but it's you know, there's a meme going around where it says Islam was right about women. It's true. Islam is right about everything, especially women. Okay, why why do you
1: think Islam was right about women? Well, first of all, because Islam is from God Almighty, and God Almighty is the one who created us, and in as our creator, he knows intimately what is best for us to achieve success and happiness in Our temporal existence. Moreover, by living our temporal existence in a specific way allows us to achieve the eternal happiness in the hereafter because we're just here for a little bit of time until the real life starts. Um, And if you look at the nature of what's happening to women in Western societies and their condition if you will, despite having every freedom possible, uh, there's this something called the happiness paradox, where the more freedoms you give the women, the less happy they become. In fact, they're, they're miserable right now. Islam understands that women are, or should be, led by men. And that is what, that is the situation where they're happiest, that is the situation where they're able to flourish as women, that is the situation where they're able to do the best uh, for themselves in the sense that the way God has created them, okay? Like, what is the, like, what is the function of a woman or in the, the, the optimal condition of a woman? It's something that men cannot do, it's creating life and raising families and, uh, uh nurturing the next generation of society and building empires through the act of motherhood. So the rules that exist in Islam for women are for their own benefit. I just saw a tweet today where uh somebody was talking about how all of his women friends were complaining that when they went traveling alone, uh as a tourist to all of these different countries that they would get sexually assaulted. And when they would go to the cops, the cops would say, you need to wear more clothes and you should have a male, a male companion with you in Islam. It's impermissible for a woman to travel alone without a male guardian, especially on long travel, long distances It's for her safety. It's not because we're trying to oppress you. We're trying to protect you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, As far as the male guardian being in charge of the woman, let's say, uh, talk about marriage for example, okay? The woman has to get the approval of her father. Why? Because, first of all, number one, uh, dating is prohibited in Islam. So, a good Muslim woman is not going to have any experience with men before she gets married. If she has no experience with men, on what basis does she have or what criteria is she able to judge whether a man is good for her? What is required is another man who is wise to the ways of the world, who understands men, who has life experience, to say, uh, yes, daughter, this man is a good match for you. No, daughter, this man is not a good match for you. Okay, so that's why she needs her male guardian's permission. And it's not it's not just a one way thing, right? If that male guardian abuses his authority, let's say uh, uh, let's say my daughter is getting married and there's a suitor for her, and she he's he's, he's got a good job, he's, uh, he's, he's 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 a practicing Muslim, he's got great character, but you know I just don't like his face, and I say no, you can't marry him. Okay, I'm being unreasonable. Okay. And my daughter tries to convince me, whatever, whatever. I don't butch. She has a right to go to the judge and say, listen, uh, this guy wants to marry me. He's he's an all right guy. I don't see anything wrong with him. And I don't think my dad sees anything wrong with him, but he's just not letting us get married. The judge has the right to now say, make a decision that, okay, you're abusing your authority here. Either you let them get married or I nullify your guardianship and I become her guardian. Okay? So... All of these rules for women exist for their protection in order to keep them safe, in order to allow them to flourish as women.
0: Interesting. All right. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but does the Islamic faith uh, and order Quran condone beating your wife? Domestic violence, as we would call it here in America.
1: Yeah. So, with regard to uh, the legal rulings in Islam, there are a number of overarching axioms that apply across the board. One of those axioms is there is no harming and no re- reciprocating harm, okay? With that said, there, has to be, there, there are going to be situations where a husband and wife disagree. Islam provides a way to mediate those disagreements in escalating ways which culminates with the husband being authorized to give the wife a light, uh, light smacking with something like a wooden toothbrush or a uh, balled up scarf. He's not allowed to physically harm her It's like, uh, it's like, okay. I take a pen, like I take this pen, and I start, like, you know, smacking her like this, and saying, "Hey, listen, if you don't start acting right, you know, there's going to be problems." Okay, so it's not to harm her, and it's not meant to cause her physical harm. However, having said that, there are three different stages that you got to go to before you even get to that stage. So the first stage is, uh, you got to have a conversation with her. You listen, you know, why are you doing this? This is not right. This is not how you're supposed to behave as my wife. Okay, that's the stage number one. Second stage is you uh, ignore her. You don't. Uh, you don't sleep in the same bed with her. Okay. You withdraw. You withdraw your attention. Uh, and any man who understands the women knows that withdrawing your attention uh, is like you know torture to a woman. Oh yeah, okay? that's in my book. <laughs> yeah the third stage is arbitration between the families so she brings a, uh, one of her family members you bring one of your family members, and there's some sort of arbitration that happens and the very final stage is this i mean if you've gotten to gone through all those three stages and you still have to do this like bro why is she your wife you should have been divorced her you know yeah. a long time ago you know what i'm saying so people tend to misunderstand that and they have a very superficial it's a very sensationalistic uh, reading of, of 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 Islamic teachings, the primary message that I want to convey is that there is no harming a,
0: another uh, Muslim or recipro- reciprocating harm. So the videos I see online where they say women step out of line and I see the dudes beating the shit out of her, like smacking her upside of head. What is that like? Is is this violation of Islamic law? This is the Shi uh, Shiites. What is that? No, I mean obviously
1: that's 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 a violation. Um, That's not allowed in Islam. First of all, like, let's say I, uh, for example, hitting, in in Islam, hitting somebody in the face is haram. I'm not allowed to hit anybody in the face. So a husband, just ipso facto, a husband slapping his wife upside the head, not allowed in Islam, okay? Uh, And funnily, funnily enough, I suppose it's not really funny, but in some cases, it could be funny. If you go to countries like Algeria, the women there think that if a husband doesn't smack her around from time to time, he doesn't love her. The women will say that. there's like, there's like a clip that went around where like they, they're interviewed on TV on like the news. Uh, and the, question, the, the interviewer is asking them, "Yo, what do you think about uh, uh, a husband you know smacking his wife around?" And the women are like, "That means he loves me." so i think some of these algerian women must be like red pill really red pill because it's like yo you know you know how women are right (laughs) like like, listen we know how we are uh you know you know from time to time that we might need a a smack around once in a while you know yeah um and, and also just looking at it from a practical perspective i'm sure you've seen all the videos on youtube where Uh, women have lost all sense of their physical stature in comparison to a man. Yeah? And they will uh, act out or act the fool with impunity simply because they don't believe that any sort of physical reprisal is on the way. And they may push the man to such an extent where he loses control or he may be justified in defending himself, and then uh, she gets, you know, attacked. Or, you know, in this case, it could be self-defense, right? So I think, uh, you know, on balance, people ought to, it's just there to, you know, protect both both sides of the party.
0: Right. All right, let's talk about the... Uh... My dad jokes around. He calls them (laughs) bedsheets. And I think they call them burkas. And, you know, um, they rap the women. Right. Is this a new thing? Because I know in, in Iran, it wasn't always like that. I think in the 70s, they decided to do the whole rapping of the woman thing. Where did when did this start? Has it always been this way? Um, and then how do you feel about it? Like, is that how women should look or dress? Or what are your thoughts on that?
1: All right. So Islam stipulates <clears throat> some specific guidelines about the way a woman should dress. Okay. She is only allowed to expose her face and her hands. Everything else is supposed to be covered. Okay? Woo! Face and hands. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the maximum that could be shown. Okay. What clothing she wears to to achieve this condition depends from culture to culture. If you go and see uh, Muslim women in Nigeria, in West Africa, in in Mauritania, their style of hijab is very, very different than Saudi Arabian women or Malaysian women. It's because their culture dictates the style of clothing that they wear. The idea of Muslim women in America walking around decked out all black face covered with the gloves on sometimes. That is something really quite new uh, because of the spread of uh, what's called Salafi Islam or the Saudi style version of Islam. In the, in the 80s and the 90s, uh, Salafi style Islam had the lock on, uh, on, uh, on, on the marketing, on the digital marketing. Or in the marketing in general, okay? They were they were the ones who were spreading as much as possible, not just not just on the digital marketing side, but in the pamphlet side, in the uh, the brochure side, in the you know the materials, the marketing they, materials. They
0: were wholly in charge of spreading the propaganda.
1: Exactly. So that I, those understandings of Islam spread, where in the sen- to the extent where the kind of Islam that is practiced uh, is more. In, in, from, from the external perspective, in, in the sense of what we, how we dress, how we talk, how we behave, is more an imitation of Saudi Arabian culture than it is uh, the basic fundamentals of, of Islam. Yes, it's Islamic, but it's the Saudi version or the Saudi culture that has been imported into America, which doesn't make sense because uh, a Muslim should adapt to the culture that they're in uh, as much as possible without committing anything that is impermissible in the religion
0: hmm. You know, I just wanted to do uh, a quick analysis really here, really fast here. It says uh, one Corinthians eleven six. Um, if a, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is but if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off and her head shaved, then she should cover her head. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, say. You know certain things about Islam, and you know the the rapping of the women, and, and again, the white man has lost sight of his religion. He's he's not following his religion to a T. Because if he was following his religion to a T, his women wouldn't be walking around the way they do in Western civilization. I always looked at the wrapping of the women in Islamic culture as uh, a protection uh, from the perversion. That's purported by Western Civ. I'm glad you gave me that breakdown because now I understand that when I see the whole all black thing, that's wholly a Saudi creation. Whereas if I see Ilhan Omar, she's just got the turban on. She's just following uh, the guidelines of Islam based upon her interpretation and culture. Yeah. Oh, that's and great. That's
1: not, to, that's not to say that the Saudi, un, the Saudi version is incorrect. Right. It's just, yeah. It's just that that black clothing is the lightest weight clothing that is available, and they're in the desert. It's hot, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of clothing is what's most comfortable to wear over their uh, their outer garments. It's the same reason why the Saudi Arabian, Saudi, like the the Arabian men in the, especially in the uh, the, the, the 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 Arabian Gulf, they wear white. Right. Yeah. Because it, you know, reflects the sunlight and it's lighter and it's it's
0: more airy and all those kinds of things. You know. Um, yeah. 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 It's it's wholly an interpretation. This is how the Saudis decided to interpret the Islamic Bible and based upon their geographic location, this is how they choose to dress. Right. So every region, including America, we wear jeans. Right. In some places they don't wear jeans. So it's definitely a cultural aspect. But the commonality is the fact that a woman shouldn't be showing uh, her hair and, and, and ha- only her face and hands should be shown. Right.
1: Yes. Right. And, and if you look at uh any representation of Mary mother of Christ her hair is never exposed.
0: Right. Right.
1: Nuns their hair is never exposed.
0: Right. I was uh, raised Catholic I know.
1: Uh you know women a uh, 100 years ago would never go out with their hair exposed.
0: Right. You know? Right.
1: So it, it's, it's something that's, that's common throughout history, throughout cultures. Um, and the idea of covering your head is, is normal. It's like an act of propriety almost. It's like good manners. It's like how back in the day in the 50s, like every go, every man would go out with a hat on, right? It's just how, you know, culture has changed and it's just to, the, to, to determine that, you know, the more exposed you are, the more, you know, forward thinking or progressive you are, which is really just not not
0: the case. Yeah. Orthodox Jews, the women actually don't leave the house unless they have wigs on um, or their hair is covered. So they also practice that. Um, hard. You know
1: there's, some super, there's some super hardcore Orthodox Jews that actually wear the niqab. They wear the burqa. You can't okay. see their face.
0: Oh, wow. Um, So here's something that's that's odd to me. And maybe you can correct me. To me, it's haram. <laughs> I see uh, Islamic women. Wearing the full, uh, what's the dress, the Saudi dress that from top to bottom? What's that called?
1: That's called the abaya. The, the robe is the, called the abaya. Uh, the head covering from top to bottom is called the burqa. Uh, the face covering, just the face covering is called niqab. So you can
0: call it a lot of different things. All right. So the ayah is it called? Abaya, the robes. the long Abaya. Robe. Yeah, okay, so we got the abaya, the, the women on Instagram are wearing the abaya and the uh burqa, right? And they're posing in product, pr- provocative poses yes, and man. they're wearing makeup. To me, I'm like, yo, this kind of defeats the purpose of your whole religion. You know, you're like supposed to be humble and all this. W- what, what what, does Nabil say about all this? Is this haram? Are they still playing within the rules of Islam? Are they um, are they rebelling? What's happening there? Because I don't like it. I mean, uh,
1: your Muslims got thoughts too, man. <laughs> they got what? <laughs> Muslims got thoughts too. Thot. <laughs> uh, okay. But so okay. It seems to be
0: oh, a thought yeah, in the in the I
1: mean, just to answer your question, you know, in a serious way, okay. Uh, people will dress like a Muslim. They might look like a Muslim, but they're doing it because of certain pressures in their society. Right. It, they dress that way because that's just the way people dress in their society.
0: Mm-hmm. And in
1: Arab culture specifically, it's, uh, it's like shameful to stand out from the crowd. It's very collect- collectivistic, right? So they may weigh this they may wear this clothing because you know uh, they're trying to be obedient to their family or they're forced to do it or it's just the way their culture is but they'll take as many liberties as they can to express themselves, express their personality within the within those limits. Now me personally I think makeup defeats the entire purpose of hijab. The purpose of hijab is modesty. The purpose of hijab is so that when you go out, you are not attracting attention to yourself. Which is like the opposite of the way you know women are in general. Like they, they want attention. So maybe like, like if you philosophize about it, you could say that hijab exists to to protect women from their instincts to always be seeking attention. Because not oh, because not all attention is positive in fact most attention towards women from men is negative oh yeah Um, so in order for to protect them to protect them from that negative attention so that they can go out when they have to go out and go about their business unharmed and unmolested uh they are supposed to go out in, in you know in plain clothing so makeup defeats the purpose of the hijab and so there's a lot of this uh, hijab fashion. Like if you go on YouTube, there's a lot of fashion tutorials for hijab-wearing women. defeats the purpose of hijab. Now, some may say my interpretation is a little bit strict, uh, in the sense that you know, as long as we're you know fully covered, there may be some leeway, depending on culture, for women to express their own individuality. And I I fully you know take that argument, but. For the most part, a lot of women they're taking it too far. Mm, mm. And, and hijab, if you think about it, hijab is not just what you're wearing. Okay, there are women I know who don't actually cover their hair, but they're actually very modest in the way they conduct themselves. They don't chit chat with men. They don't, uh, you know, they don't talk to other men when they're out. They re- the, the clothing that they wear is wear is very very loose. It's it's. They don't go out wearing too much makeup. So there are in some cases there are. Muslim women who don't cover their hair or their face who behave with the spirit of hijab than there are some women who are actually wearing the covering but they're uh you know behaving like whores.
0: yeah I think Islam does such a great job with the women I remember I was uh going to get a falafel and uh outside the place was a table of uh all the women and uh You know, I was just being cordial and, hey, ladies, how y'all doing? And they all lifted their head up and looked at me like I was crazy for speaking to them, right? And none of them said nothing back. And I was with the homie at the time. And I'm like, damn, y'all can't say hi back like that. And then they still continued to ignore me. So I said to my homeboy, I said, you see how well they got their women trained? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's how it's supposed to be. Like, you're not supposed to be out here talking to strange men right so yep. i really admire that about your culture um thank you yeah i you know if had it been you know some you know that's another thing i see with black women and white women they you see them getting into all these arguments and fights with men and i'm like uh even for men i feel it's a violation to be in a in a debate with a woman. I don't debate women. I don't argue with women. It's just no point, right? Like, tell your husband, come here. Tell your father, come here. Let me argue with them. I'm not arguing with a woman. And I feel like it's beneath a woman to argue with a man. I believe she has much more important things. She should hold herself to a higher standard than to be, you know, I look at men as kind of like dogs. And you should have your hold a higher esteem for yourself than to be arguing with the dog. You, should, you know, your priorities should be higher than arguing with somebody you don't even know. The only person you should be arguing with is your husband. Um, so I, I really admire that. And I find that Western Civ women um, want to be uh, at odds with men, as you see with the feminist movement, so on, and so forth. But I want to ask you this, something that's a sensitive subject, not only to uh, the African population, but even the European population as they witness this, female genital mutilation. Um, and then I had a, a talk with Brenda Morada last night, the director for the Netflix documentary um, uh, "Circumcision in America," American Circumcision. Um, where where does Islam sit with genital mutilation for both men and women? Okay,
1: so <clears throat> let's do uh, talk about the male circumcision first. Okay, uh, so male circumcision, there's no. Or really, any difference of opinion about this is a a tradition that was that is carried out by that was carried out first by Abraham. He was the first person to circumcise himself, and he did it when he was 80 years old. So we follow that you know tradition. Uh, it's uh, it's it's most practical to circumcise the child, uh, you know, just after he's born, so that you know he's uh, he doesn't have to go through any complications of you know going through a circumcision when he's older a lot of cultures do the male circumcision when the when the when the boy is seven uh so when he reaches the age of uh, intellectual discernment right uh, because before the age of seven you, they don't really know what's going on but once they reach that age of seven like their intellect starts to kick in they're self-aware um, yeah exactly so that's the age they call it the age of discernment uh which self-aware is the perfect translation uh so they sometimes they do it at that age okay so that's you know that there's no issue there's no issue there um and i don't think there is an issue there with regard to male circumcision i know there's a there's a lot of debate around it uh in the west now because it's viewed as some sort of um, mutilation or torture of of a child however you know for most of you know western history you know men were men have been circumcised according to the Christian and Jewish traditions as well. For the women, okay, when we talk about uh, female genital mutilation, there are two kinds of uh, procedures. One of them is called a clitoridectomy, okay, clitoridectomy. And the other one is called a clitoridotomy, okay, a clitoridectomy is a clitoral excision, where you basically—it's almost like a female castration, where you cut out the entire, the clitor—much of the clitoris, the labia, and uh, a lot of the sensitive areas of the vagina where most of the nerve endings are, and then it's it's stitched up with a small opening to allow for uh, you know urine to pass through and sexual intercourse to take place. Okay, clitoral excision. This is unequivocally impermissible in islam the fact that some muslim cultures do it is besides the point they shouldn't be doing it okay all right so clitoridectomy clitoral clitoral excision haram okay clitoridotomy is what's called a hoodectomy all right or in some cases some might call it a labiaplasty the two different things A hoodectomy is a cosmetic procedure where the hood of the clitoris, some of the hood of the clitoris is removed to expose the clitoris. Okay. This gives the woman uh, more sexual pleasure during the act of intercourse. All right. Uh, So the clitoridotomy is what is something that is allowed. It's not obligatory. It's allowed in Islam. So the hoodectomy some muslim cultures practice this where the top of the clitoral hood is slightly removed so that when she becomes a woman when she gets married she's allowed to have she's able to have a better sexual experience with her husband okay so that is what clarifies the difference between the uh the incorrect and impermissible act of uh, female genital mutilation which is the clitoral excision and the female circumcision which is the hoodectomy and right. people confuse, confuse the two, which
0: is why all of this uh, outrage happens. Awesome. So now, uh, thank you for clarifying that. For people that want to know, as you can see, Haram, um, for female general mut- mutilation, uh, for anybody to know, Haram means forbidden. Um, we got oh. some super chats here. Uh, Rike Caballero Caballero. A uh, two dollar super chat and uh, Black Mountain Hotep has a five dollar super chat, and their uh super chats are quite similar. It says, Uh, how has is Islam treated and treats black people? And then Black Mountain Hotep says, Uh, what in your opinion explains the nature of Africanized Islam if you are of the belief that there is an Africanized Islam?
1: Okay, so first let me get out of the way that uh, African people have. Uh, historically, not been treated treated well by Muslims, uh, and this is a general thing that I, I don't think anybody could disagree. Is that something that Islam advocates or Islam teaches? Absolutely not, because in the Prophet Muhammad's final sermon, he says, uh, paraphrased, uh, a black has no superiority superiority over a white, and a white has no superiority over a black, rather it is your deeds that uh, God Almighty will look at. Okay so uh, the idea of racial inequality is something that is alien to islam okay have black people been mistreated by muslims in the past yes they have and some black muslims or black people in general continue to be mistreated by muslims today Uh, with regard to an africanized version of islam or the black muslim contribution to islam bilal the first muslim to give the call to prayer was a, f- a freed slave one of the foremost scholars in islam through whom we receive many of the islamic traditions also was a freed slave the mamluks were a, a freed slave empire or kings that became sultan Tariq bin ziyad who landed in the Iberian Peninsula and conquered Spain uh, uh, for, for the Muslims, was an African Arab. Uh, Usman Dan Fodio in Nigeria, the Sokoto Caliphate, okay Black Muslim scholar. Uh, Mansa Musa, said to be the, the richest man in the history of the Earth, I believe. I'm not sure. Maybe Solomon, Prophet Solomon, is more, more, more wealthy. Also a Muslim. Um, there are many black Muslims in the American tradition where one of the great, um, I wish I could remember his name, but he was a slave who was an Islamic scholar. And at night when he would finish his work, he, he would write out the Quran by, on, on a piece of paper by memory. And there, are, there exist manuscripts of his handwritten Quran today, and you can go and read it. Uh, and he wrote it from memory, and there are no mistakes in his uh, his writing of the Quran. So black Muslims have a, a massive, massive contribution to the Islamic tradition.
0: Mm. So uh, it's a good segue to one of my points I wanted to bring up. Um, double standards, right? So I know in the Jewish faith, they have... Uh, a loophole for sin which basically says you know you can do something to the goyim and it won't be considered a sin but if you do it to another jewish man then it is a sin uh, do any double standards like that exist within uh the islamic faith do you have special privileges for each other
1: mm,
0: not not um not that i can think of
1: off the top of my head uh in a wartime scenario there are uh, some exceptions that are made, because typically Muslim, the only time Muslims will are supposed to go to war is uh, if there's a war against non-Muslims, right? So in that case, things like uh, deception is uh, is permissible as a as a tactic of war. Uh, things like um, things like theft to disrupt the enemy uh, supply line and di- di- disrupt enemy economic infrastructure is allowed economic sanctions are are allowed in a wartime scenario but these are all wartime dispensations that don't o- don't occur in peacetime
0: got it perfect so as you know earlier i uh i asked the question what should be for islam right and uh <laughs> We're up to now 318 comments. Yep. On that one tweet, all it took was five words.
1: Everybody got beef. Beef. What's that? I said, everybody
0: got beef with Islam. <laughs> everybody got beef with Islam. This one dude says, Islam was founded by a 6th century warlord who married a 9-year-old. Is that true?
1: Uh, he wasn't a warlord. Uh, he was a a nobleman from a tribe in Arabia called the Quraysh tribe for the vast majority of his, his messengership it was prohibited for him to fight despite the fact that he was being re- religiously persecuted by his people I believe it was uh, 13 years after his, uh, the, the start of his prophethood where he was gi- given the permission to defend himself Uh, in the event of uh, an offensive attack by uh, the non-Muslims around him. And shortly after that, he was allowed to go on offense. Okay? So I think, I don't know if you agree or not, or whether your audience agrees or not, but military uh, strategy or military conditions are necessary for a people to be able to to exist and to survive and to thrive because there's always going to be people who are not content to live and let live there's always going to be people out there who are going to aggress against you for a religion to survive and thrive there has to be some element of protecting itself of defending itself against uh, foreign aggressors and i think i think that this is something that christianity gets wrong in the sense that this whole this idea of turn the other cheek, uh, you find that in the West now, Christianity is like a, a laughing stock. People just it's made a mockery out of. You have things like, you have things like piss Christ. You have things like uh, in House of Cards, uh, Kevin Spacey's character spitting on the statue of, of 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 Christ the Messiah. You know this kind of blasphemy. This kind of disrespect towards a prophet of God is, is, is something that you know Muslims wholly reject and, and do not tolerate In fact, I don't know if you remember there was a movie called Noah a while ago that Russell Crowe uh, to, uh, was acting in That movie was actually banned in Muslim countries because it it blasphemes or disrespects the prophet Noah so I think this kind of attitude is necessary in order to protect what's sacred in society so as far as the claim as uh, being a warlord goes i I reject that claim Uh, the wars that the muslims fought at that time were necessary in order to protect their fledgling state Uh, as far as marrying a nine-year-old he did marry uh, his one of his wives aisha the marriage contract was completed when she was six uh, after which she moved into his abode when she was nine uh and i believe ostensibly that when she was at this age she had already passed puberty so now in our times this would be something that's uh that's uh you know not allowed it's it would be considered as something that's uh you know a child marriage but at that time the culture was entirely different uh people matured at a much younger age uh people were expected to uh, go into adulthood and take on adult responsibilities at a much younger age. So I think it's an ac- anachronism to uh, to consider uh, it as something like uh, child bride, a child bride or pedophilia.
0: Mm. So basically you're saying back then, if you passed through puberty, that made you a woman.
1: Yes, and if you passed through puberty, it also made you a man. Um, it's interesting to note that of all the criticisms that... Uh, pre, uh, uh, enemies of Islam or, or critics of Islam back in the days uh, would levy at Islam and the Prophet Muhammad. His marriage to I- Aisha was never one of them, because back in the day, what was the age of getting married was like twelve and fourteen and stuff like that. You know, they would be already married and trying to have kids and stuff like that, right? Oh yeah, so it's really more of a cultural phenomenon. And in fact, if you go around the world ages of consent vary significantly in some countries it's as low as 14 some countries i'm not sure if 12 is the number but 14 is the lowest i can remember it's 14 it's 16 it's 18 it's whatever whatever so the main concern is okay when it comes to marrying a young woman okay there is a a floor in terms of age where the marriage contract that's the lowest it can go where you can complete a marriage contract, where a father can say, okay, uh, when she's old enough, I'm going to marry her to you, all right? However, that, that axiom that I mentioned earlier, there is no harm or reciprocating harm. If such a marriage would result in harm to the woman, then by its nature, it's not permissible, all right? So in our times, marrying a young woman like that a young uh, whether she's nine or she's 10 or she's 11 or she's 12 that is something that would be extremely extremely I would say uh frowned upon if not impermissible despite the fact that it happens in some places in the Muslim world because these people are these these places are not educated yeah so un- un- uneducated people do a lot of different things yeah they'll you know do female genital mutilation they'll uh, they'll do acid attacks against women. They'll, you know, marry little girls, you know, uneducated people do lots of things. And that's not really a f- reflection on Islam as it is to a lack of education, any lack of understanding of the rules of the religion.
0: Mm, indeed. Indeed. Uh, I want to get a little bit messy here. Um, Imam of peace, Imam of peace, you know, I, I follow a lot of conservatives, a lot of conservatives follow me. And um, I see this guy, Imam of Peace, popping up on my timeline. And every time I see him pop up on my timeline, I'm like, what the fuck is this dude talking about? Yo, like he he, he just seems to me like one of those virtue signaling leftists, except he's Muslim. So I, I haven't passed judgment. I haven't said anything public about him. That's my first statement about him publicly. Um because I wanted to understand Islam first, because um, maybe there was some validity, but I really got some SJW vibes off of him. What are your thoughts on the Imam of Peace? How, wh- What context, what's, what box do I need to put him in?
1: Uh, imam of Peace or Imam Tahidi is the Sean King of Imams.
0: <laughs> he's the Sean King of Imams.
1: <laughs> yes. So he's not actually an imam. Um, he uh, he he's from the Shia branch of Islam. Okay, so, um, he, I and I I'm not sure exactly how good of a Muslim he is, or in terms of his, his practice of the religion. But for the most part, he has some extremely um, heretical ideas about the religion to the extent that, um, uh, like in uh, like a normal Muslim, a mainstream Muslim would consider him a heretic. Okay. So, okay, that's one thing, okay? Leave that to the side. That's an internal, interfaith, uh, intra-faith uh, criticism, okay? Second is his credentials as an imam, okay? Uh, In Australia, where he's from, there was an investigation conducted by the Australian news media, I'm not sure which channel it was, into Imam Tawhidi's credentials, and he was found out to be a fraud, all right? So, that's another thing. Third thing is that he well, is well, not. Go okay. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the third thing is that the community in Australia do not recognize his authority. Um, so, it, it, an imam or a religious leader, he needs to have some, some bona fides. Like other imams, gotta put some respect on his name. Yeah, and the community needs to recognize him as, as some sort of authority. His organization, or whatever his 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 Islamic center, or whatever he calls it, it's like some, like some random office somewhere with with like no congregation or nothing. All right, so he's a total fraud. Okay, I believe he left Australia because he was not getting any traction there, in order to go do his uh, his grifting in other countries. He went to England. He went to Canada. Uh, maybe like he, I think he came to to America and in some of the. The right-wing talk shows as well um, uh, and in a lot of cases a lot of these reformers imam tawhidi majid nawaz Ayan hirsi ali invariably they're all frauds and they've been found out as frauds it's just that the the audience that they're speaking to which is the the right-wing crowd that don't like muslims and islam they are like they're telling them what they want to hear. So they don't want to go too deep into the background and find out, you know, is this person legit or not? uh So that's what Imam Tawhidi is. He's a fraud. He's the Sean King of Imams.
0: Yeah. So, all right. So he's a grifter. He tells people what they want to hear. And then they can say, oh, look, I don't have a problem with Muslims. I like Imam of peace, right? <laughs> but they don't even care about his validity. I find that across uh, all races of grifters. People don't care if these people are, you know, uh, frauds or not they just care that they have somebody championing uh their beliefs and affirming their biases uh which i think is ridiculous i mean you've seen hotep and how far we've come and uh you know there's a lot of people that try to affirm our biases but it takes more than that to be hotep (laughs) you know so what, what does it take to become an imam i know you have to be recognized by the other bosses but you know what exactly has to happen there to rise to that uh as right. stature
1: yeah so imam uh, is a you know quite a broad term okay so imam can be as some as as little as somebody who leads the prayer in the community masjid the community mosque okay so the there could be a like a full-time imam whose responsibility it is to lead the prayer uh, five times a day that person is called an and called an imam okay that's on the low end of the spectrum on the high end of the spectrum the imam is reserved for uh, the paragon of Islamic uh, knowledge, of virtue, virtuosity, of understanding of the religion and spirituality. So it's like the highest level. In fact, we call we call also the the caliph, who's the ruler of the Muslims. We call him the imam because he's the the spiritual and political ruler of of you know the Muslim community. So there's two ends of it. If you want to be an imam just to lead the prayer, okay, it's just a matter of like giving in your resume and getting hired, okay? If you want to be the other Imam, the paragon imam, okay, that takes a lifetime of of learning, of spiritual sacrifice, of worshiping God, of purifying your soul, of 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 submitting to your creator, um, and just generally living
0: a life as a good Muslim. Does uh is there anything in, in, in Islamic faith that is uh against Christianity or uh, I guess you can say non-religious tolerance?
1: Well, I mean, we don't believe that they're uh, like, we believe that they're like disbelievers because uh, every prophet, uh, the the prophet, when a prophet comes to a people, they're obliged to accept him, all right? So uh, Jesus, uh, peace be upon him, came to the Jews, the Jews rejected him. All right? Okay. So, rejection of jesus is an act of disbelief all right muhammad peace be upon him came to the jews the christians and all of mankind they're obliged to accept him so uh, christians in this sense are required to accept the messengership of muhammad and if they don't uh they are disbelievers i mean there's no i mean as far as tolerance goes like it's live and let live right um we uh, live alongside each other we don't agree with each other's belief but we uh, live in peace as much as possible yeah. that, the fact that we disagree religiously and the fact that we believe in uh, what's called salvific exclusivity in the sense that we only we believe that only Muslims are going to heaven that doesn't negate the fact that we will uh, be civil and peaceful with people who are peaceful to us
0: Yeah, uh, I saw somebody in the chat earlier. They said, I thought hoteps were above this religious conversation and uh, that person's wholly ignorant because uh, to be hotep is to be uh, religious tolerant, to recognize that there are thousands of faiths across the earth. And, you know, God didn't put us here to be the judge, jury and executioner of the uh, world people. So when somebody says they're Muslim or Christian or Jewish, we don't dismiss them or think less of them like some other people will. And I think the huge contradiction I find is that, you know, being the, the name Hotep Jesus, um, a lot of conservatives, because they're Christian, um, have this strong attachment to Jesus, which is fine. Um, but they'll come to me and they'll say, uh, you know if you don't believe in jesus christ then you're not going to heaven da, da da and i'm like well you just said the same thing about muslims was wrong but here you are doing it to me right so i think uh, every religion has uh their dogmatism attached to it and i think it's unfair when people because the jews believe one thing you know and believe that they are the chosen ones and everybody else is kind of just like cattle right so um i don't think that uh that 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 type of dogmatic outlook on other people is exclusive to islam (laughs) you know um i think it's wholly unfair um and everybody has
1: their dogma right and if you say you don't have your dogma then i'm going to call you a liar right You you have your own preferences and it's okay for you to have your own preferences you know as long as we can get along right
0: Oh yeah, I got plenty of dogma. You see it every day on my timeline. <laughs> right? Um, especially when it comes to women. <laughs> right? And I think I think dogma's good uh because it, it protects you, it keeps you insulated. And I think that's what uh Western civilization has failed in, is uh they release too much of their dogma. And have become too liberal and too accepting and too progressive to the point where now they it's almost completely destroyed. There are, there, there pretty much is no culture in America right now. You know, um the culture in America is just basically like materialism, buy this, sell that. Like that's our culture. Um, I think that economics is inevitable, but economics should not be a culture, it should be an extension of your culture. And how you participate in the economy, um, how you participate in the economy uh, is definitely a result of how you carry your culture or practice your religion, because what you buy is an extension of your culture. How you make your purchasing decisions is an extension of culture. So when it comes to economics, what are the overlaps between how Islam uh, decides to operate within economics, commerce, finance, what are the boundaries? Um, how do they interact with other groups that aren't Muslim? Can you give me a bit of education on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is one area where I'm not uh, well, well-versed. well I have some general knowledge, so I'll, I'll tell you you know, what I know. So, obviously, right off the bat, uh, usury is haram. Uh, that is, you know, charging interest. Okay? And, and now... Because there's fiat money, there's some discussion to be had about um, the natural inflation rate of, you know, of money. And the fact that if you, if, if you don't have some sort of interest to account for inflation, your money devalues over time, right? So, that's one, one discussion. So, usually, in general, despite the nuanced discussion, usually haram. Okay? Uh, the rest of Islamic e- economics operates according to a free market. Uh, as much as possible okay Um, there there are even lengthy discussions about whether the government has the right to set prices on certain goods Uh, and there is some difference opinion difference of opinion between the schools of law whether the the Islamic government has the right to uh, to set prices to uh, uh, what do you call it? Subsidize certain goods and services and things like that, all right? But in general, it's a free market system, okay? Tax, all right, taxes. Uh, the Islamic State is allowed to uh, tax a land a certain amount based on its its yield in terms of agriculture, right? So there's, there's some kinds of taxes there, all right? There is no personal income tax, There is what's called the zakat, which is the almsgiving of Islam, where a a Muslim is obliged to give 2.5% of his savings over a year, year on year, uh, to the poor. And the collection of zakat is uh, facilitated by the state. So the state is required to employ individuals and have a system to collect the zakat and distribute it to the poor. Uh, So I guess, I mean, you you could call it a kind of taxation except for for the fact that it's not the the government that uses the funds. The government distributes or disburses the funds to uh, deserving individuals, okay? Uh, Other than that, there is a war booty from the uh, defensive or offensive wars that take place that are collected in what's called the, uh, uh, the department of, or the house of wealth or the house of um, finances or whatever you call it. And that again is also distributed in a, in a way where uh, a portion of it is going to infrastructure, a portion of it is going to, uh, uh, is dispersed to the, the, the warriors, the soldiers, a portion of it is dispersed to um, trusts and things of that nature. But that's that's in general how it works, but for the most part, the main takeaway is it's a it's a free market system.
0: I would trade two and a half percent for what we got now here in America in a heartbeat. <laughs> in a heartbeat, bro. This shit is ridiculous. How much um, tax you paying right now? What's that?
1: How much are you paying?
0: <laughs> <Prices>? <laughs> Damn near half, dog. Oh my goodness. Damn near half, yo. I half my, almost half my shit goes to this shitty ass government. Um, so I'm gonna have to get a more expensive attorney, um, uh, uh, accountant to figure out how to find some loopholes in this system. Next year, I'm um setting up a 501c, and to turn that and get some of this income off of my personal books. Um, so I'll pay less. Um, uh, but yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Um, I want to ask you, Western civilization, you know, there's many vices that we love to spend on, entertainment, drugs, sex, alcohol. In the Islamic community, what are the vices, what do people like to spend their money on? Is it entertainment as well, or, you know, what, what do people spend their money on?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, they spend it on uh, food a lot. Uh, Muslims are generally, I guess there's quite a few Muslims who are obese and overweight um they spend it on uh, things like coffee uh they'll spend it on uh, other forms of entertainment like you know music movies and things like that um so i mean they're you know, muslims i mean muslims are just like any other people right we're as much affected by the globalism cu- the culture of globalism and consumerism that's spread across the world you know uh, you know, like the, you know, the right wing complains about demographic change, but the cultural change that globalism brings across all across the world is far more pervasive. In the sense that it more than demographics, it kills the culture of a people. There's like there's, I mean, there's a McDonald's, I mean, there's a Starbucks in Mecca, like right outside God's house, you know. So haram. That, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, money talks, right? This is like this is the God is God is these people's God is money, right? So, so I think that kind of pervasive uh, spread of the culture of consumption, that globalist spread of culture and consumption, is 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 more of a negative effect, or as much of a negative effect as you know demographic change. So you guys aren't insulated from
0: the consumerism.
1: No, absolutely not. That's one of the reasons why I focus a lot in my uh, my sort of the the Muslim side of my uh, online activity. I focus it a lot on America and uh, Canada and UK. What the West is doing, more specifically America, because America is the exporter of culture to the world, and American culture by I would and say
0: anti culture.
1: Yeah, I mean it's degenerate. Is what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. By and large, it's degeneracy. So that's why I focus a lot of my efforts uh, on becoming the Alpha Muslim, which is my my blog for Muslim men. I focus a lot of my efforts on what's going on with Muslims in, in America. Because it's not just the American culture, the American non-Muslim culture that gets exported. It's also the American Muslim culture that ex- that gets exported. And American Muslims are a product of American culture, which is degenerate. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, American Muslims, their understanding, their way of interacting with the world, the way, of, the, way of, the way they interact with the environment around them and the people around them is not necessarily what's best for the rest of the world. But because of YouTube, because of uh, the Internet, because of what's available online, because most Muslims interact with their religion and their religious material in English, American the American Muslim understanding is what's exported to the rest of the world. Mm my efforts are sort of a counterbalance against that because i know that muslim countries are just t- maybe 5 or 10 years behind what's going on in america so they like the like we're like we're just 10 years behind the whole uh, unisex uh, gender fluid bathrooms and the pronouns <laughs> debate you know like we already have feminism yeah we already have like gay rights starting to come up yeah but so now it's like just 5 or 10 years before we're starting to have like furries and uh, pronoun discussions and 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 uh,
0: unisex bathrooms. Damn, so that means we're not gonna know who's underneath that burka. It could be a man yeah. or a woman, depending on how they identify. <laughs> like, you know, Tyrone or somebody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know that Eric <laughs> song is like Tyrone? Call
0: that. <laughs> Yo, this is crazy, man. I, You know, when I think about Islam, I just think about the nation of Islam. And uh we get a lot of pushback. You know, we get a lot of pushback from black Christians, uh, we get a lot of pushback from white people um because of Nation Islam's history, uh, some of the words that were spat by some of their leaders, like Khalid Muhammad and um and uh Farrakhan. Um any thoughts on the nation of Islam or you know, any any background you can give us, you know, because I know. It's quite different from the other Muslim faiths, right? Yeah. So
1: the, the original nation of Islam, the creed of the original nation of Islam is is not Islam. Okay. They're not, they're not Muslims. Those beliefs that they have wouldn't make them Muslim. More recently, uh, I believe it's the son or the grandson that has moved them away from those original teachings to what can be considered an Islamic creed. Now, why are they not Islamic creeds? Um, because, uh, I mean, co- you can correct me if I'm if I'm uh, saying something incorrect here, but um, uh, his name is warif Deed Muhammad, is the, the founder? Um, I thought it was Elijah Muhammad, but... Elijah, Elijah Muhammad, pardon, pardon me. warif Deed Muhammad, I think, is his son or his grandson. That's his so son. Elijah Muhammad... Uh, claimed that he is uh, a prophet of God. Right. Right? Uh, Muslims believe that Muhammad is the last and final prophet and messenger of Allah. Uh, any uh, person or individual who claims that they are a prophet after Muhammad is a false prophet. Yeah? Um, a false Messiah. Uh, so, any people who believe that claim by definition they can't be, they can't be Muslim gotcha. you. Yeah. And, and also, if you think about the nation of Islam, there are other uh, beliefs about you know about of, about culture and race, about white people. These are completely antithetical to Islamic beliefs. Uh, in fact, there is an ongoing debate right now about the racism that brown Muslims uh, feel towards uh, white Muslims. Um and there's a lot of anti-white sentiment among the brown Muslims, and I believe that is one of the effects of the relationship that uh, Muslims in the West have with the left and the sjws. Uh, so the nation of Islam's beliefs towards white people are you know completely antithetical to Islam, which is a side like a byproduct of uh, their incorrect beliefs that you know don't make them Muslim in the first place the Mm. modern nation of islam is closer to you know it's they're closer to sunni islam gotcha
0: gotcha yeah um i don't know you know i look at i look at actions and change and there's a lot of people who got their life cleaned up by the nation of islam no No, doubt a lot of brothers go going no doubt
1: about that um and in fact the nation of islam did a lot of positive in the uh the american community not just the black community. In fact, what I say is that American Muslim leadership should be handed over to the black Muslims in America because the black Muslims in America are more familiar or more, they are more a part of the American culture, of the American, um, the lattice of sociocultural phenomenon in america than the immigrant muslims that are leading the nation are leading the muslim community in the in, in america today because most of these american muslim leaders are first generation second generation third generation immigrants you know they're not they're not americans right yeah? so they
0: wouldn't understand
1: yeah just like kamala harris is not african-american she's a
0: jamaican indian you know what i'm saying yeah. yeah so they wouldn't understand Nuances of the exactly. culture that can't exactly. even explain. They have to be experienced, exactly.
1: And then if if you think about the history of of of, of black of black Americans in you know in America, they have that like that shared transmitted cultural DNA through the generations. Okay, that makes them uniquely positioned to navigate the problems that Muslims in America are facing. You know because. Like, Islam and Black people are like this in America, you know? And yeah. They're the, they're the ones who are, you know, most closely placed uh, to, you know, to handle the situation that's happening or the situations that occur, you know, with Muslims in America.
0: hmm In Philly, you see a lot of Sunni Muslims, a lot of Sunni Black Muslims, like uh, in the hip-hop community, got Freeway, you <laughs> yeah. know, who's a, a practicing Sunni Muslim, uh, Loon, Loon. Uh, we used to be sounding a bad boy, is uh, a Sunni Muslim as well, and I, I got it. What's that? I I remember I remember Loon. You remember Loon, right? Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. like
1: he was like the the like the next version of Mace, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah He supposed to
1: mace Became a base became a preacher. I was like yo, puppy was like yo, I got to get another Mace, son. <laughs> Let me get this guy over. Here. Yeah, and then we became Muslim. And then what's the other guy? Uh, Lupe Fiasco, Muslim. Is he Muslim? I believe he is Muslim. Uh, Most def Muslim, right? I know Most Def is Dave Chappelle Muslim.
0: Dave Chappelle's Muslim.
1: Yeah, he's Muslim. Oh wow! Yeah, he what doesn't do think- talk about it. He doesn't talk about it openly because he uh, he recognizes that he's not a very good Muslim, right? Uh, uh, so he doesn't want his personality and his uh, his shortcomings to reflect badly on you know on Islam and the Muslim faith which I applaud him for, you know, it's a lot better than, um, you know, some of these people who are openly claiming to be Muslim, but they're, you know, degenerates.
0: Yeah. 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 Cause you know, Dave smokes and he drinks alcohol. Um, So yeah, he definitely isn't the prime example for a Muslim. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I hear this thing called Moslem. S M O S L E M. There's difference between that and Muslim
1: no there isn't it's just a um like an americanized pronunciation of 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 of, of the word it's like like they say jihad but actually it's supposed to be pronounced jihad yeah mm-hmm. so it's just the, the way americans pronounce things so when they say muslim they're supposed to be saying muslim right. yeah and so, so like you hear them sometimes they'll say swadi arabia
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah or or Qatar when in fact it's Saudi Arabia and Qatar
0: yeah so i hear this this word jihad a lot what is this yeah. is this a radical group of people that are terrorists
1: no uh um it's it, it's what we call struggle it, the, the the literal translation is a struggle okay, okay.
0: jihad means struggle
1: jihad mean, it means struggle and in a general usage it refers to war okay uh and this war can be defensive or offensive okay uh and it most closely follows what uh you in america will call just war theory okay yeah are you familiar with just
0: war theory i've read a little bit about it in some other books but it's basically justification for war yeah exactly so it's, uh, you know, it's the idea
1: that um, there are only certain reasons for which uh, you're allowed to use a Muslim army. And that those reasons should only be to, one, uh, defend the Muslims from uh, aggression or preemptive offense if you are expecting aggression from an enemy. So those are the only two uh, you know,
0: situations where, where it's allowed. Right, right. Um, I want to get messy again. Yeah, Elhan Omar. She's cute to me. I think she's sexy. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to meet that. He, But the conservatives hate her, and I understand why. Um, and Uncle Hotep thinks that she's an agent, he thinks she's a, he thinks she's a Zionist agent. What's your take on Elhan Omar? Is she trustworthy? Is she on the up and up? Is she what is up with her?
1: um man uh all right, first of all let me say that you know it's uh, it's actually impermissible for me to speak badly of an, of another muslim uh is 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 considered backbiting right uh i mean what since she's a public for and since she's uh, you know in the public forum um you know like uh, people tend to have this idea of 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 muslims that we're all very very religious and we all follow the religion, you know, 100% to the T. And I guess that's a good thing. That's like the perception that, you know, Muslims are religiously observant. And that's a good thing. Where the fact is Muslims are as flawed as any other individual, okay? Um, despite the fact that we may have Muslim names, despite the fact that we may uh, dress like Muslims, that we might talk like Muslims, that we have you know, mostly Muslim belief or Islamic beliefs, we're all going to have some shortcomings. We're all going to have some beliefs or ideas that aren't in line with what uh, would be considered as proper Islamic or Muslim belief or behavior, okay? Even in my case, um, there are many things that I do and say and think that may not be considered... uh, at least by more practicing Muslims as as things that Muslims should do say or think yeah uh, and in fact it's gotten me like all cancelled pretty much uh, <laughs> uh by the online Muslim community we call them Muslim Twitter okay yeah? so I think Ilhan Omar needs to be looked at from that angle so Wait, thing- why, did, why did
0: Muslim Twitter cancel you uh
1: because I'm too like um I'm too. I'm too hothead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> too yeah. sensitive. You're thinking. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, that's like a side discussion. It's really not relevant. You know. Um right. I have. Like, I have my. I have my support, and most of my support comes from uh, people who are actually religious scholars okay. who actually know the religion. So, like, as long as I'm cool with them, I'm. I feel. I feel like you know. Okay. I can keep doing what I'm doing, because when they start, you know, disavowing me, I got to be like, "Yo, what did I? Maybe maybe I done something wrong." Yeah. Uh, So, like, okay. So when you think about Islam Omar, you got to look at her um, Ilhan Omar. You got to think, look at her from that perspective. Okay. Um, Here's a person, uh, you know, from Somalia, from Africa, uh, and we know that people from the Middle East, uh, Asia, South Asia, uh, Africa, those regions uh tend to be more inclined to uh corruption than your average western person yeah uh, so some of those behaviors could be looked at in that light okay could be just corrupt people doing corrupt things and not not some sort of zionist plot uh, to destabilize america uh you know um her own personal failings as a you know as a as a as a woman or a, or a muslim Again,
0: everybody's got their
1: faults, everybody everybody's got their mistakes.
0: So she has uh, she has a beef against a certain group of people. Is she justified in that beef? Uh, which group of against people? Against a, a certain group which shall not be named, but Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um Look, I mean, uh the situation in America where uh this group of people is is beloved Beloved and is a sacred cow and cannot be criticized. It's almost only. It's almost unique to America. Okay. Um, the
0: only place this is happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you can also say in Western Europe is also a situation where you can't criticize these people. The factor of the matter is around the rest of the world. It's they, it's it's okay to criticize uh, this group of people uh, for what are perceived, you know, injustices. Committed towards other groups of people uh, and general injustices committed uh, towards people in the world, right? Uh, So you have to look at it from that perspective. Yeah, this is a person coming again from Somalia, okay? Where you know criticizing these people is like it's like an every like it's an everyday thing, you know? Um, Virtually. Mosques in the region, okay, North Africa, Middle East, um, South Asia, on during the Friday prayer, okay, when the imam prays uh, makes uh, supplicates and the the congregation supplicates with him. One of the supplications, one of the prayer is that God Almighty free Palestine. Okay, this is happening around the world, so you have to understand it in that context as well. Okay. Mm-hmm so in that sense the beef that she has is is you know is generally understandable she's just somebody who's vo- able who who has the uh, the social justice points to be able to vocalize that criticism yeah and and even her it's not enough despite being black despite being muslim despite like despite being a woman so she's got like three levels of social justice points but even that is not uh enough to overcome the wrath of the elves.
0: <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so I guess over there it's 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 basically normal to criticize that group, just as over here it's normal to criticize a Democrat or Republican, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. normalized. Whereas exactly. over here it's like
1: exactly it's like it's normalized to uh, criticize Russia or China, right? Yeah, there's not going to be any problem. Like you said, so it's like you know russian interference like putin this putin that you know mm-hmm. uh, it's totally that's the same it's the same thing you know with this group of people in this country
0: word word um black mountain hotel wants to know what's his uh opinion on the Morris science temple you know anything about the Morris science temple
1: i know nothing about this so i have no opinion about it
0: yeah i uh, you might want to check take a look at it this was started in 1913 by normal drew ali uh he uh has his document called the uh circle seven Quran. yeah yeah uh you might want to check that out right around that time is uh the time where um a lot of uh you know you got harvey spencer lewis comes to america props up the rosicrucian organization mm-hmm. uh, a lot of uh religious group or religious leaders started coming here and seeing that you know, this is a land of opportunity to uh you know push a gnosis and noble drew Ali is one of those guys um so you know maybe you want to check him out and you give me some feedback on on, on uh, noble drew Ali. but that's uh you know you'll you'll even see uh you'll see the crescent moon with uh the uh circle seven quran and uh, there's some uh overlap with islam with that of course so uh yeah i think you know in your free time check that out i i will check it out i mean there are a lot of uh uh one
1: could say one could call them Islamic offshoots like uh the five percenters, uh you know, yeah. arm leg leg arm head. Is they take some concept from Islam and then they um uh Adapted. they adapt it for their own own uses, right? Um there are those uh I don't know if you have them in, in New York or New Jersey, the red hats.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's the Moorish community, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, is that them? they w- yeah. they've got to wear the the red turban
0: Yeah, like, like Abu from like um Aladdin.
1: Yeah, okay, so it's those guys yeah we we had them in Chicago as well. I remember one time I had to go into a hood uh, for like a <laughs> I thought I was going to 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 I don't know what I was going for, but it ended up being some sort of MLM opportunity. So <laughs> 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 these guys they took me to the hood for some MLM opportunity and there were some of these Moorish guys there. they had the red hats on.
0: Yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. The Moors push heavy out here um, in the community. Uh, I would say they're, um, you know, we have uh, in the Hotep community, the, you know, Hotep can often be used as a pejorative or an umbrella term for some of these subgroups, like the Moors, the Five Percenters, the Nuwapians, Nation of Islam. So they're uh, in in some ways. A subset of the quote-unquote hotep community although if you said that to them they'd be like hell no we not hotep <laughs> you know? we yeah. are hotep, hotep is
1: like, uh, like assalamu alaikum
0: yeah, yeah. How so so
1: hotep, hotep, hotep is like a greeting of peace right
0: yeah I mean there's probably a dozen definitions you know one of them has to be at rest one of them is satisfaction one of them means a tomb um uh you know transitioning into the afterlife there's many different de- definitions of the word hotep and heatep and hetep so um you can you know check out uh shaka akmos that's one of my teachers and he goes into he's the one that taught me the, the meaning and symbol of uh, hotep but uh people do use it as a greeting right and to mean you know peace or peace out you know what's up so yeah, very similar to when somebody says As-Salaam-Alaikum. What's the literal translation of "Assalamualaikum"? Again, to be to peace be on yeah. you. It means peace
1: be upon you. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in the in the black community, we've like "Aki." Aki is what that's uh, that's <laughs> he means brother in Hebrew, though, right?
1: It means uh, it means brother in Arabic. A k h i. So sometimes the uh, like the Philly Philly people will will say Ak. Right, yeah, right. So even in Chicago, we say "ak."
0: Okay, yeah. so "aki" is actually Arabic.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, there must be some sort of a, a connection. Also, a similar word in in Hebrew as well. Semitic, yeah. Semitic languages; it is the same.
0: Yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, the Semitic languages are very, very similar. Um, and I think, I think that's some of the power too, right? When we think about language and language is a result of the vibration of our vocal cords and the vibration that we put out into this atmosphere that's the advantage that jews and muslims have over the rest of us you guys are operating off of ancient languages Hmm. we're operating off of bastard languages like english french german like like English is a combination of like four or five different languages yeah. you know it's actually derived from German um we don't speak Latin you know um so I think when you're able to also uh because I don't want to go into the mystical that's a little bit too deep for some the mystical uh, nuances or result of using these ancient languages but I think you know you guys are able to communicate much better than the rest of us are uh, because you have these languages like some words don't even exist in your language that exists in the human language right because yeah. our our civilization is so screwed up we got to, we gotta name some of this extra dumb shit whereas you guys have some uh very holy terms that don't exist in the English language and um uh, when we look at like Orwell Orwell talks about how the English language, uh has been flooded with a whole bunch of negative words, uh whereas you can't find too many happy words. So I do this experiment with kids all the time. I say, give me a negative word and they'll go on for minutes, you know, 10 minutes straight with negative words. i will say, give me words that are happy words or positive words. And they can't go but 30 seconds, dog. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think try that with my kids. Yeah. Try it and see what happens. Um, but, uh, this is something I think you guys have an advantage over, you know, culturally, you know, because language is an extension of the culture. Is there anything that we're missing? Any myth about Islam that we didn't dispel today? Is there anything that we need to know about Islam the day before we part? Is there anything that you want people to go home with, uh, as far as an understanding or even a feeling uh, about that, that's a good one.
1: Uh, and I was going to stall because I couldn't think of something, but I did think of something. Okay. So we have this uh, a common, I mean, I would call it propaganda. Uh, I mean, ostensibly pushed by the Muslims themselves that that Islam is peace. Uh, Islam doesn't actually mean peace. Islam means submission, and the peace comes through submission. When the soul submits itself to its creator willingly, through this act of submission, it achieves peace. And the word Muslim is actually the active participle of the word Islam. So a Muslim is somebody who is engaging in the act of submission continually to his creator, his or her creator. That's what I wanted
0: to share with you. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Before we close out, I want to give you this opportunity, right? We're going to play a game. Um, This is a game exclusive to Bill. I haven't done this to anybody else because of who you are. So what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to do your 60 second pitch on your marketing services. Right. And then we'll run through a scenario where you're selling me a product and I'm going to play a hard ass and just to like show people how a sales conversation should go when you're selling your services. So okay. I get you start off with your 60 second pitch and then I'll start throwing out rebuttals and we just kind of work through it and make this a learning experience with people how you're supposed to handle rebuttals and sales.
1: All right, well, okay. So I am the co-owner uh, and founder of Dropkick Copy. We are an email marketing and content marketing agency in Dubai. And we provide uh, services to B2B uh, businesses to help them make more sales through their existing assets, their email list, their online audiences, and so on.
0: Awesome. Um, I think email is kind of archaic. I don't think my business really wants to use email marketing. Do you think I should push email marketing? Why? Why? Well, it really depends
1: on what your goals are. If, for example, your only goal is to get uh, impressions online on social media, then email is not something that you would want to go after. But if your intent is to actually uh, build a list of customers, then out of all of the uh, marketing channels available to you, email is the strongest one. Every dollar spent on email gives you. $40
0: $40 back. We've been doing email over here. We're selling uh, shaving cream. We're, we're kind of like the dollar shave cup for shaving cream. And uh, email hasn't been working out for us. So I don't think I want to try it out. I don't think I need your services. You know, it's just I just don't know if I really believe in email. You know, it seems maybe I should just run some Facebook ads. I mean, we have 10,000 people Uh, active customers in our email database and you know just we just haven't seen any sales from it you know i don't think i I need your service well i would i would question that actually if you have ten thousand customers
1: on uh, your email list those are people who have already bought from you they're much easier to get them to buy again than it is to actually acquire a brand new customer uh, on the front end by spending facebook ads spending money on facebook ads the cost of acquiring a customer on using Facebook ads is significantly more expensive than the resources that you will expend in sending emails to your 10,000 existing customers. So your cost of acquisition for those subsequent sales uh, continues to go down the more, more you sell them. And as long as you keep adding fresh uh, customers to that list, email is, continuing, is going to continue to be profitable for you.
0: Now, I've been working with a whole bunch of market agencies in the past, and I've been burnt so many times. They promised me a high ROI. They said they're going to get me more sales. I hire them. I spend $20,000 on a campaign, and we get squat. And what make, what makes, you, makes me believe that you can get this done that they can't?
1: I will. obviously, we have uh, case studies and testimonials of, of doing this for our clients successfully. Obviously, I mean, that doesn't mean that we'll be able to do it successfully for you. So usually what we tend to do is we send out a simple campaign, very simple campaign that's uh, meant to be a cash injection campaign, generate some quick cash for your business. And that is actually what's going to help you pay for our services. And it's also going to demonstrate that we have the ability to make you sales uh, using your email list for your, for your business. Another thing that we do offer, if your uh, business model and product is attractive enough, is that we would uh, go in for a revenue share deal. So that way we share in the risk with you. Um, and it's not just you putting up all the money and expecting results from us.
0: So how much money is this thing going to cost me to, 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 I guess, hire you? You know, do we have our guy handle the email marketing and you just tell us what to do? Are you going to handle, handle it? Do we fire our email guy? And how much does all this cost?
1: Well, our our system is actually fully done for you. So, if you want us to take care of everything from writing the copy, from planning the launches, from planning the uh, email editorial calendar, to actually implementing the emails, you know, we can we can do that for you. Yeah, uh, our service starts at uh, you know, ten thousand dollars a month. However, we expect that you know within the first few weeks you'll be able to make your money back at least, and then some.
0: Mm. There it is, folks. Nabil Aziz from Dropkick Copy. If you guys, I know, uh, like you said, you know, um, you said that you get a lot of pushback from regular people, right? But the religious leaders, they all, like, they're, like, cool with you, right? They kind of, like, validate you. And I find that to be the same with myself, where, like, the Hoy polloi, they were like, yo, this dude is crazy. But all my normies. peers in high positions be like, "Yo, Hotep Jesus, you dope, bro!" <laughs> right? Yeah,
1: I mean, it's the, it's the normies, right? It's like, um, um, like, like I, I maybe I don't know if, uh, if you, you know this as well. So I, I recently took a an IQ, an IQ test, right? And I found out I'm high IQ, and I'm like, "Oh, now this shit makes sense," because all these people are just a little low IQ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you know, most of the, I mean. Uh, you know not to insult my brothers and sisters but a lot of you know brown people are some level of inbred you know uh and over over time that tends to degrade their ability to you know uh, reason uh, and rationalize properly uh, that could be one aspect of it another aspect is that social media has generally turned people's brains to mush um reading comprehension is is, is like is, is like at an all time low
0: and <laughs>
1: There's no concept of nuance anymore. Like, people don't understand metaphor. People don't understand hyperbole. Everything is taken hyper-literally. Yeah. Um, That is a a significant uh, barrier to communication with normies because uh, high IQ people tend to be pithy. Yes. They They say a lot without using a lot of words. Right. And it requires some level of uh, cognitive uh, flexibility to be able to read in between the words to understand exactly what is being sent. Yes. and I suppose maybe that's our fault for not um, speaking in a way that everybody will be will will understand us. Uh, but the thing about you know Twitter is that Twitter is a medium where you know brevity is favored, and the more concise you're able to be, the more pithy you are, the the stronger your your writing is on Twitter. That's obviously changed a little bit now since the the character limit increased to two hundred and eighty characters. But but when it was one hundred and forty, um, there's a there was a big difference between the type of content that got put out and especially the quality content. Uh, and it was it's amazing to see some people who are you know skilled at expressing their ideas in so few words. Um, it is almost like an art form.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Like yesterday, I said ban porn. Right. And the first thing people said was, I don't want the government to do anything. And it's like, dude, nobody even mentioned the word government. You put that there because that's how your mind works. You know what I mean? And so I pick and choose where and when I want to be specific and when I want to be pithy. Most of the time, I'm very pithy. Yeah. But uh, because uh, I just don't feel like I should have to explain myself, you know, like uh, like if you don't get it, you're just a moron. And my message really isn't for morons. Like I'm trying to attract a crowd of high IQ people. So I speak to high IQ people. And if you're just so stupid, you don't get it. You get offended. Hey, that's not my problem. Right. But then there's sometimes where there's a certain message where I'm like, nah, the NPCs really have to hear this. So I'll be very specific in my detail. Dah, 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 dah yesterday somebody said can you first he, he passed judgment upon me then i i had another tweet where i said you know it's funny that i can look into somebody's mind based upon um their reaction to me based upon a very uh, vague thing then he comes back later and asks for clarity i'm like no you, you missed that opportunity <laughs> right? um so i'm very lazy uh when it comes to things like that um but how much of a role do you think uh learning copywriting can help somebody with social media because uh, that's what I study. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, um, I think just to touch on the, the point that you just made, there's, there's another problem where, um, you know, in debate it's called the principle of charity where you always try to take the most charitable understanding of what your opponent is saying.
0: Mm. uh,
1: Attention spans and the nature of social media being what it is, For some reason, people tend to always take the most negative possible interpretation of what you're saying. Yes. Um, So when you say something that's ambiguous, and it could be interpreted in two ways, they always go to the negative. Right. Um, Whereas uh, the intelligent person is going to try to understand, did he mean it this way? Or is there some sort of charitable interpretation that I can give it? So that I give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. 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 So on to the subject of copywriting. So, you know, when we're writing copy, we're actually trying not to be pithy. I'm going deliberately out of my way to use a few more words. If I can dumb down the language a little bit, I may use three one syllable words or a two syllable word, you know, a few two syllable words rather than a four syllable word. Why? Because I'm not trying to display my skill and my vocabulary and my uh, writing flourishes. I'm trying to make a sale. In the context of social media, if you're in the the realm or the industry or the niche of changing culture, as you are, Hotep Jesus, then your writing needs to be able to convey your ideas in a way that. Propagates these ideas, and the ideas enter the consciousness of your audience, right? So, in that case, you may need to uh, write at the level of your audience. So typically, copywriters we say that don't write above a five, a fifth grade level. Yeah, uh, and a lot of copywriters, you know, my writing when I'm trying to sell stuff is at like a third grade level. Some people, have, some people can get down to like a first grade level. Um, so it's the it's the it's the objective behind what you're writing for writing for, and really I mean, um, it's really not a sign of uh, high intelligence that you always use highfalutin language. It's a sign of more more a sign of arrogance if you, and a more a sign of uh, inability to convey your your idea in a simple way that anybody can understand. So while yes, uh, being pithy is something that's. Uh, uh, Praiseworthy and interesting and, and valuable. Okay, you know, just something that you know both of us appreciate. Uh, the ability to convey ideas in a way that people, everybody, can understand, and your ideas are are not being misunderstood, is actually something very valuable. Even if you look at uh, the text of the Quran, the Quran is not in the most complicated Arabic that exists. The Quran, as a book, was revealed for all peoples and all times, so that everybody can understand, even the like Bedouin Arab from the desert. So that's how ideas spread: is by you know mass consumption, mass adoption. So that's really what 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 copywriting is about. It's about uh, creating messaging to communicate ideas in a way that is sticky. And you know you're a master of this, uh, obviously. Not to uh you know be on your dick or anything but you know you're you know you're quite proficient quite proficient at
0: this thank you appreciate that yeah i hate that in in the black community where you compliment another man and it's classified as on your dick you know what i'm saying um (laughs) no pause (laughs) yeah no i mean i think i think there is a time where people are on your dick and it's like a little too like you know almost homo-ish it's just like damn like you got to ride this man's jock that hard like are you a man what do you do with your life so i do see some of that but i think sometimes that word gets thrown around too much just because you know you 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 compliment another dude but um great conversation today um we got a chance to cover islam and marketing uh, a little bit at the end there um so yeah i appreciate you man i'm gonna see you on twitter tell people where they can find you
1: yeah, first of all, let me say thank you so much, uh, Brian Hotep, Jesus. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, obviously, it's uh, we've known each other quite a while, and it's, we've always had you know positive interactions. Uh, and I really appreciate uh, what you have done for the online world in general. And uh, obviously, you've you've you contributed a lot to culture and the community. Obviously, your your goal is mainly to help Black people, but um, you've also helped the Muslim community in ways that you don't know because of your you know tireless efforts in in, in clarifying the issues that the that, that black people face uh, you know in the West, in, in your communities. Uh, people can find me at Twitter. My handle is at Nabil Aziz I'll
0: just give them one call to action. That's another lesson there for y'all. <laughs> One call to action at a time. That's also the rule in propaganda, too. Exactly. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to do this again sometime soon, bro. For sure. Thank you, sir. Peace out, y'all.